Welcome to a new episode of the World of Running. I am your host Aditi Pandya and this is our 22nd episode. No human is limited are the famous words by the most celebrated marathoner Eliot Kipchoge and he went ahead and proved it by running a sub 2 hour marathon. Prior to him running the sub 2 hour marathon, Kipchoge had tried to break the 2 hour mark in collaboration with Nike. Then the team of scientists had put in the work to understand the runner's lactate threshold, heart rate, VO2 max. Apart from this, a lot of practice was done by the athletes. During the research, a lot of insights came out in terms of the general physiology of the runners and how to improve it by working on them individually. For example, improving the lung capacity to take higher oxygen and thus delaying the effects of fatigue or running continuously for a longer time at a threshold pace to reduce lactate building in the body so on and so forth in today's episode we will focus on the aspects of endurance training like principles of endurance running volume and intensity of training periodization specificity etc before we go ahead in today's podcast i have a request for all our listeners if you like this episode and know of someone getting into running please share a podcast link with them our guest for today is ron george better known as ronnie he is an indian endurance sports consultant and athlete based out of dubai ronnie found his roots in middle distance running and duathlon in his youth he then converted that into a love for coaching adults in endurance sports which he has been pursuing for more than 10 years now Ronnie is a Lidiat Foundation level 2 peer reviewed and certified coach. Ronnie resides in Dubai where he coaches running and cycling at I Love Super Sports Dubai. He also founded and operates the popular international running club House of Runners and the Indian multi sports team Right Shift Performance. Ronnie's specialities include scholarly studies in endurance training and adaptation mechanisms, cycling and running coaching, performance testing and monitoring and 3D running mechanics analysis. He can be found on Twitter discussing the latest in sports science and on YouTube on his channel Endurance Performance Open Learning Show. Hi Ronnie, welcome to our show. Thanks for having me, Aditi. So, Ronnie, I went through your introductions, and it is very, very interesting that you have been a middle distance runner as well as an endurance duathlon, right? So, I want to pick your uh, brain on endurance training, and it has evolved a lot over the last century, and it continues to evolve. So, the fundamental principles behind endurance training are universally agreed, while there is a specific difference. between coaches so can you talk about what are the fundamental principles of endurance training specific to running uh thanks aditi for the question um yeah as you said i i have been in the endurance training scene for quite some time um i really started in school as a track athlete and then uh in 11th grade when the board exams were behind me i i, I shifted my interests into kind of self teaching myself anatomy and um because i was a big big time into bodybuilding at that point and you know uh, as as is every 11th grader i guess um <laughs> so i i self taught myself anatomy and, and got into some endurance running then and then 
a little later on in college, I really started uh, cycling and I became the vice captain of my cycling team. Um, and this was all in the United States. So this is where I really found my roots. Um, and these days, I'm happy to be uh, coaching coaching runners. I'm in my late 30s now. So I think um, my sort of youth is kind of behind me and I find uh, more fascination with trying to understand uh, how different people work and what kind of training work for different people. So having uh, said that, yes, uh, absolutely. Endurance uh, training has some foundational principles behind it. Um, I'm a Lydiad certified uh, running coach. Uh, Arthur Lydiad was probably one of the most prominent running coaches that the world has ever had. Um, And I really subscribe to his, uh, one of his fundamental principles is that aerobic conditioning is the key for long distance uh, events. Uh, When you look at the marathon, um, physiologically, 99% of it is aerobic. Um, So if you're someone who is purely training uh, anaerobically for something like the marathon, you're not going to get... you know, much success. So aerobic conditioning is fundamental um, in 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 um, in long distance running, particularly when we talk about the marathon. And as the distances get shorter, then then you have more of an interplay between the anaerobic and the aerobic system. And when you talk about five k and and lesser, like even the one mile, anaerobic strength becomes particularly um, uh, not only useful, but it is. It is even required. It's a requirement. Not many people are good anaerobic athletes, and so I guess, uh, as you, as you probably understand, as you train, you will find out very soon where you you your strengths are. And I think we all naturally deviate to uh, our strengths, and you know we end up becoming a marathoner or a 10k specialist because of what we discover about ourselves. Uh, so yes, aerobic conditioning is very fundamental for marathoning. And then uh, there's a few a few other things that that are probably understood, but still requires to be recognized is that running is an eccentric um, muscle activity. Every time you land, there is an eccentric contraction, and then there is a concentric contraction when you push the ground away. So every foot strike is literally like lifting weights in the gym. You are dealing with a an impact force of maybe two and a half to three times, maybe even more. Uh, your body weight. Yeah. So, if, for example, if you are 70 kilograms, 70 times 3 is 210 kilos. And that's the peak force that you see when you land. So, over a period of marathon, you know, 42K, you're talking about thousands and thousands of foot strikes. And so, it's fundamental that something for, for marathon, uh, you need to have the fatigue resistance. And so, the training needs to involve those kind of specific aspects of of the marathon in the training itself. So understandably, the long run is the key part of the training in any marathoner's uh, running schedule. And then recovery is key just for the same uh, token that, you know, running is a very uh, impact-prone sport. Therefore, recovery is absolutely fundamental. And I think when we talk about recovery, we, we ought to learn a bit from the bodybuilding scene because those guys know how to recover. Um, they know that if they don't recover, they can't grow muscle, you know. Uh, unfortunately, the running community, uh, especially when you start building an addiction for running, you want to run every, every single day. And at times you don't recognize the need for recovery. So 
without recovery, you can't grow and you, you can't build muscle and tissue and, and repair what you just uh, what you just lost through the training. So it's absolutely fundamental to, to recover. So training plus recovery is the, is the fundamental uh, formula to achieve this, this idea of super compensation where you come back after a period of recovery even stronger than where you started before. Um, sure. So, yeah, it's I can expand on this more, but uh, I guess don't want to make it too detailed. <laughs> Sure. So we will have a lot of examples coming uh, from from you during the podcast. Uh, and uh, one of the thing, uh, as you said, right, that recovery is important. And I'm sure you follow Lydiard philosophy. And there are a lot of other coaches and scientists who have influenced evolution of endurance science. So what are the few important milestones of personalities and the philosophies that you think are noteworthy? Yes, for sure. I mean, to just coin uh, one of the book titles of Stephen Hawking, this, you know, we, we really stand on the shoulder of giants when we look at the running scene. Uh, running has evolved over a period of 100 years. Um, and I think the, the root of all running or the knowledge of that, that we have gained about running and, and how to improve in running comes from middle distance um, track, for example, you know, um, I mean, we can go back to the 1900s uh, and sort of divide training philosophies and people who, who uh, the coaches and the coaching philosophies into two periods. Uh, so you have the sort of pre-war era before 1945, and you have the post-war era from 1945 up to 1975. Um, I think the 1970s and the mid-70s was when the idea of periodization really became mainstream and started becoming more and more talked about and written about and and, and practiced. But if you talk, I mean, if you want to go back to the earliest times, some of the the Germans and the Austrians and the Swedes, they, of course, they valued hard work, but they also, uh, living through hard times and um, there was not much money around and there was wars, uh, going on, so there was not a lot of time, and some of these uh, athletes uh, really, whatever time they had, they really went out and just smashed themselves every single day. And they, some of them, like for example, uh, Emil Zatopek, the Czechoslovakian uh, locomotive, they used to call him. This guy used to do like 40 times 400 meters, and he would absolutely smash every single interval. And so they, you know, they really encapsulated hard work and the ethos of hard work but i don't think they really understood or really valued the recovery aspect a lot um it wasn't until like the 1940s 1950s when the great Lydiard of the new zealand he really came to the scene and and started designing um very uh, deliberate training schedules in fact he was himself a runner he started out experimenting a lot of things on his own body and found out that uh, after about 160 kilometers or 100 miles, the uh, uh, you know the, you get diminishing returns. And you, he also found that uh, if you don't have or you don't strategically place recovery in your week, it's you know you're just gonna hit a brick wall. Uh, and so uh, periodization, I would say, I won't say he invented it, but definitely he he brought it more to the mainstream. And his ideas uh, for even 800 meter runners marathon training was the most fundamental training even for a middle distance runner running the 1500s 
And that's one of the reasons why you see um, some of his runners went and, you know, got these fantastic medals. And New Zealand as a small nation was like nowhere to be seen before that. And suddenly in the 1960s, they have, they're winning gold medals in the 800s and the, and the mile and so on. Uh, there was also very, very uh, prominent people like Roger Bannister from UK. He broke the four-minute mile, which was, I mean, to be to compare it to now, it's like breaking the two-hour barrier in the marathon. Um, and back in the day, you had like, you had no proper shoes. Shoes were just very minimalistic and you were running on grass or sometimes even mud track. Um, so in those kind of conditions, to break four-minute mile uh, was unthinkable. So Roger Bannister really uh, brought a sort of a very scientific uh, training to to this to attacking the mile and actually the, the interesting thing is the mile and breaking the four minute mile was like sort of an intercontinental challenge there were actually two or three other runners in other parts uh, of the world like in australia and the usa who were targeting the same thing but it's very interesting that only banister was able to break the the, the mile record um, the others i think came short initially uh, but then John Landy, I think after just about 46 days after Bannister broke the record, he went and smashed like three minutes and 58 or three minutes and 57. So uh, they were learning from each other and they were learning also from the coaches and athletes who came before them. But fundamentally what, what these athletes did, they experimented a lot on their body and they found out what works for them. And and after they retired, they wrote these things um, especially in their books, like Bannister has a book, and he wrote about how he trained and so on. And that, that sort of became food for people who came later. So kind of like the scientific method, right? The, I think the running is the best um, example of uh, science in action. You know, you, you in running, you rarely stick to things that don't work. You know, it just you try it, and if it doesn't work, you, you discard it and try something new. And this is amazing. Uh, you sort of... Uh, sort of a laboratory, you know, especially especially if, we talk, if you think about some of these runners, like Bannister, for example, he was himself uh, a medical student. He was very much attracted to the idea of using his body as a way to learn. Similar kind of thing happened later. And after the, 19, the 1960s and 1970s, you had these very uh, prominent personalities like Kenneth Cooper, who is considered the father of aerobics, who started the Cooper Institute. He also included a lot of aerobic conditioning for everyday people to try and uh, get them fit. Uh, and he wrote a lot about it. So um, even today, a lot of uh, sports scientists are actually, uh, you know, they are runners, but and, and they like to use uh, their sport as a way to uh, research and advance findings in physiology or, uh, you know, whatever other aspects there is to running. So... So there, there's a lot of personalities to talk about, and to spend time on each one would be uh, would be out of the scope of this podcast. But uh, really, you're talking sure. about two two different eras, and if you're really interested, you got to go through all these names: Percy Charuti, Bill Easton, Roger Bannister, Arthur Liriad, Bill Bowerman, uh, and then some of the Russians like Medvedev, who who advanced the idea of periodization. So it's not just Americans. No? So today, the popular books, you know, they're written on running are mostly all written by Americans. And people tend to think, oh, this running thing originated in America, which is couldn't be a more wrong idea than that. It originated in Europe. It originated in 
in in uh, in Finland, in Sweden, in Germany. This was all happening parallel. People were learning from each other, and in the end, what we have now is like uh, ideas that have passed the test of time. You know, to be honest, the uh, uh, fittest of the fit. <laughs> sure. Actually, I was going to ask you about uh, some of the influential names and approaches but you have covered it so i would go to my next question and that is what do you see works best for the athletes right so considering that now uh, so most of our athletes are into serious hobby and they have started breaking sub 3 hour marathon right so what is the system of training that best works for the athletes if you have to see at a larger scale the best training that works for the athlete is is really what works in the context of their life um you know the people today i mean if you look at the recreational athletes they they're not professional athletes they're not full time athletes uh, if they were they could devote like 30 40 hours to just simply training um but the reality is people have jobs people have families to look after um a good a uh, student of mine used to say that you know even if his boss said something negative at work his whole mood would be down and that would consequently affect training which is quite true right your mental state has to be really good yeah it is uh, and you know the, the, the whole mental aspect is quite overlooked what works for the athlete is just what works in the context of their life often times you people may follow cookie cutter training plans but they find that they can't stick to it or they have to adapt adapt a little of the aspects um of the training so that it it suits with their life but if you ask me personally and what i do with my athletes for example i run a club here called house of runners which i founded what what i found and what i like to practice with with these athletes is you know stick to the lidiardian principle of yes aerobic conditioning is fundamental uh, because a lot of these athletes are looking at 5k 10k's the marathon you know aerobic conditioning is fundamental and um I subscribe to the principle of periodization although sometimes it might not always work out but indeed um when I write training plans especially for athletes on training peaks um uh, around 10 to 12 weeks of that first training cycle is just easy running and a lots of easy running to develop the aerobic system uh, the volume of the fast running is uh, is kept low uh, but most of the 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 time spent running is spent running easy and and lots of easy running is fundamental to to the training cycle of a, of a, of uh, of even a sub 3 hour marathon uh, for sure um and i guess that's where we get this idea of polarization which i mean uh, dr stephen saida is retrospectively looked at the training of um uh, very elite endurance athletes skiers runners cyclists and he and his team found out that most athletes are spending more than 85% 90% of their time training easy it's common sense if you if you're just going to kill yourself and drive yourself into a brick wall you can't get up tomorrow and and run so it really stems from a common sense rational approach to 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 running that is aerobic conditioning but recovery uh, there's one other aspect of marathoning which i uh, for the sub 3 marathoner there is two things that that's fundamentally one where where are you trying to attempt the sub 3 marathon because where we are running and where my club runs the temperature is quite on the extreme side i'm living in dubai where you know you have an arid climate naturally uh periods of rain are very low um so 
what tends to happen is an easy run becomes a moderate run and a moderate run becomes a hard run literally so you can't always go there with uh, you know go outside with uh, pace based schedules and very strict instructions oh yeah you should run at this time this time this time because it turns out it becomes a, a, a hard effort uh, it can become a hard effort so you have to be very smart and think on your feet um so i guess it really depends where you plan to run it and where do you do most of your training and you have to sort of tune your training to the climatic conditions uh the other aspect is fueling absolutely fundamental especially when you're talking about 3 hour marathons and so on is you only get so much carbohydrates in the body to use up for about 2 hours then you are like you know banking on whatever you have in the aerobic system uh, aerobic system is a little slow so you have to you you tend to run a little slow so if you want to run fast in the marathon uh, especially when it comes to sub 3 hour marathons that becomes sort of a power event uh most people don't think of a marathon as a power event but a sub 3 marathon is a power event now there are people who have uh, you know uh, have found exceptions to that i guess uh, but uh, it's been proven by science uh, and there's a long lot of material in this uh, sphere that carbohydrates is is fundamental to to performance and so knowing what to take and having a strong stomach um is 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 key you have to experiment with different gels and uh, or or other ways to get in your carbs and make it very specific to the kind of event you're you're trying to train for sure so rani you you spoke a lot about um you know temperature as well as intensity and how they are interrelated and i would i would rather like to elaborate on certain principles that you spoke earlier so let's take the the correlation between the volume and intensity of training and why is the volume of training important in endurance training right and what are the specific adaptations that it brings in depending upon the altitude or depending upon the temperature so if you can throw some light around it yeah so as i said before we stand on the shoulders of giants and the giants like uh, arthur ledier and people like uh Percy Cerruti and uh Jim Rion for example the famous high schooler in the US who found out that he could do lots of lots of volume of training and bring down his mile time so these are the guys who really went out there and discovered that volume is fundamental to 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 getting uh, performance in in long distance but as i said the the longer you run uh the more your muscles take a beating and therefore there is an inverse relationship between intensity or the or the amount of harder efforts you do and the volume so if you uh, if you want to incorporate some intensity uh, you got to sort of you know it's a seesaw effect more volume means lesser intensity or higher intensity means lower volume so in a week you need to f- sort of play around with those two uh, variables but having said that there are people who have tried high volume high intensity Uh, also at the same time and jim rion is a perfect example he just wouldn't back down and he was so motivated to run these fast mile times he would go and smash very very high volume training maybe like upwards of 100 miles a, a week and at the same time he would try and smash every single run and he would try and do every single run fast and he would do that every day and what happened was he just drove himself into a brick wall and he couldn't recover and he just couldn't get out of it sadly you know such a very talented runner just couldn't really replicate or, or prolong or sustain that that level of performance he had 
we learn from personalities like that that you you just can't simply just throw in volume and intensity both at the same time and, and different people tolerate different amounts of these two variables so you really have to understand who you're dealing with and sort of individualize the uh, the amount you you know the dosage or the recipe you give every athlete so i don't really believe in cookie cutter plans everything i do with the athletes around me are based on a conversation i have with them like you know feedback that i get hey how are you doing today and how was the training how was the running last week or or yesterday and i then tailor the efforts that are going to come based on the feedback i get or based on what i see in training so i'm also coaching professionally at I love SuperSport which happens to be one of the biggest or the biggest endurance school in Dubai and I get a lot of opportunity to simply stand or just run easy and watch athletes as they run um and there's a lot of feedback athletes just you know tell me a lot of things about oh yeah this works but this doesn't work and so next week when I come and come with a new recipe I I I know that what you know it didn't work this stuff, what I gave them last week you know that could be improved upon so sure. it's very iterative yeah i i don't i don't believe in 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 cookie cutter plans yeah it's it's a bit complex it's a bit complex but human beings are complex so rani um i understand right intensity and and not having a one plan fits all is is very very important to to just individualize things and and uh, i i want to take a step forward and talk about uh, um you know our body gets used to the same kind of work and uh, we have to keep pushing so that we keep bringing in more muscles uh, at play because if we keep using the same muscles uh, we are actually not helping so how can we ensure during endurance training we bring in all the muscles to play uh, majority of the time whether it is to do with say interval training or or like a mix and match of duration and intensity um so running is a whole body sport you're fighting gravity you're in an upright position so there's a lot more muscular input than for example let's say cycling um and uh, that's one of the reasons why i like running because if you put someone on a treadmill and get them to do a ramp test um the vo2 uh, or the uh, volume of oxygen that they are consuming is it's a very direct measure of 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 what their body requires to move uh, a majority of the uh, the oxygen consumption that you require to move from point a to point b is coming from the muscle the muscle especially the leg muscles is the biggest consumer of of vo2 or the volume of oxygen you need to move your question was how do you ensure you you use different muscle groups well uh, in 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 the training um fatigue resistance is key for marathon so uh, you know doing long distance training at very specific paces that are very specific to the time goal that you have is very important because you don't want to be doing and that's one of the reasons I don't believe in long slow distance training uh I don't know where this um uh, concept originated from but I suspect that uh, maybe Phil Mafferton or the Mafferton approach we call it the MAF uh that was maybe how it got popularized but Lydiard for example was in no way a proponent of long slow distance training he did say long steady training and i think people need to correct their misconception long steady training is okay long slow training you need to critique us critique that kind of training and ask yourself whether that's really benefiting you or not 
Because if the problem is if you do lots of long, slow distance training, you might be great at doing long, slow distance. <laughs> but you may not become a fast runner because, you know, when you go to the marathon, try something new, try something fast, your body will then start revolting. Hey, I haven't run at this pace. Muscles feeling a little different. Fuel consumption is a little different. What's going on? You know, you start. So it's very important to train uh, at paces that are very specific to the time goals you, that you have in mind. So basically race-based training. And in the marathon marathon training, you can do lots of easy, uh, long-distance intervals. Uh, and they they don't have to be faster than marathon race pace. Uh, so especially in the hotter regions where we live here, we do lots of what, what I call easy, long kilometer intervals or Dutch intervals because there's a book out now. It's called Easy Interval Training Method, which is on my desk. But I really uh, support his his viewpoint, Class uh, Locke. He's, he's the author that... Uh, long, uh, easy running, and you can do that in interval training format as well. That is an interesting approach because in the hot weather, you can do lots of that and accumulate lots of volume without actually hitting, you know, going and crashing into a brick wall. And you can still get up the next day and next morning and continue to to go about your training. So um, it's important to get uh, volume, the volume of training that is specific to your race intensity. But just doing that is not enough. You you also need the intensity. And so doing short distance tra- interval training with breaks in between really targets the, as- the other muscle groups, uh, the fast twitch muscle. I would support the idea that a marathon uh, uh, should use or can use even short races like 5Ks and so on in their, in their training cycle to uh, both as a substitute for interval training and also as a way to improve their speed and, and uh, hone their uh, short distance uh, capability, the fast twitch capability. I mean, it's good to go to the marathon with not only a lot of slow twitch muscle fibers, but also good, well-developed oxidative fast twitch muscle fibers, which you need for a sub three hour marathon. People have found this out that if you just continue to do the same type of training, you're gonna stagnate and you, you won't get uh, further any further benefits. It just becomes a, you know, diminishing returns. Hence, you have periodization because after like, um, and Bridget used to say that after 10 weeks of aerobic conditioning, then you need to move on. You need to start bringing in the faster running. You need to to bring in the hills. You need to do hill repeats for about maybe four, five weeks. Then bring in the faster interval training, which is done on track. After four weeks of that, you freshen up. He used to say freshen up, which nowadays we know that is tapering. But he really brought in the, the, or popularized the idea of tapering, freshening up around two weeks uh, before a key event so that, you know, you are in absolute shape uh, when, when the time calls for it. Got it. So you have actually helped me segue for periodization and, uh, um, you know, as marathoners, uh, we have it one or two macro cycles in the entire training period, right? And uh, then we'll have multiple meso cycles and micro cycles. And you did touch base upon uh, in your previous answer about periodization and how why it is important. So can you now talk about supercompensation and give some examples around it? I guess the supercompensation principle is just just really. Um, you know, biologic reality. So we we, have, we find that when we rest, when we get a nice sleep or when we take a break and then come back, we come back stronger, right? Um, our muscles are fresh. So we can run 
run better. There is no soreness. But also supercompensation, there is also something that happens metabolically. Your body can store carbohydrates and really those stores of carbohydrates can be replenished and, and kept topped up for um, for the next bout of running that was that is to follow. So supercompensation is both in terms of the muscular recovery and the neurologic and mental recovery, but also the, the fueling recovery you need. You know, if you just keep training every day without without eating and recovering, you, you're not, you're just going to go downhill, you know. So I think that was found out uh, by many coaches and many athletes over the last hundred years, and and it is reality. Um, for Sir Roger Bannister, who broke the four-minute mile uh, a couple of weeks before he attempted this four-minute uh, mile uh, attempt, he actually went to the Highlands of Scotland with a, with maybe a couple of his friends. I'm not sure if he went with friends or he went alone, but he went for a hiking, uh, trekking, you know, sort of uh, adventure, and he took a week off, a week off from his hard training. And he found out that when he came back, he was running a faster intervals. He was doing uh, a second or two faster on those those 440-yard intervals he used to do. So right there, you know, you can understand that he found out that, yeah, period of rest, you know, following a period of rest, you can come back, come back strong. So um, so that's, that's what I have to say about supercompensation. So then we come to periodization, which is Yes, so periodization is a very deliberate attempt to um, to play around with both the duration and intensity, or the volume and, and intensity, and and it is a very deliberate way to uh, to fashion or structure or project manage, you might want to call it. So project management um, for trying to prepare for for a race, and that, as I said, it was advanced in the Soviet Union uh, by Medvedev, and then. A lot of other coaches got onto it and tried it themselves. And it wasn't until the 1970s that it really became, you know, came into the mainstream and track and field just ran with it. And a lot of articles were published in track and field, uh, you know, the journals and so on about periodization and periodizing training for, for middle distance. And there is different kinds of periodization. There is even a block periodization, uh, which is also something that came out of the Eastern Bloc, uh, where you do, you know, these uh, these these uh, very specific cycles of training just the aerobic system, and then you then you just focus on just just the anaerobic system, and and there have been some successes with with that kind of training, but as as science has it, you know, it has always been challenged that idea as well. So there's bloody, kind of conflicting research on whether block periodization really works or not. Uh, some saying it does, some say it doesn't. But I've tried that as well in my training, and uh, um, this, uh, you know, it's, it's, it, it works to 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 an extent. But again, what happens in the uh, larger context of your life, etc., will also determine how usefully you can use that. Yeah, periodization is a safe approach because, uh, especially for the marathon, uh, spending uh, many many weeks trying to develop your aerobic system is very rational. But there are then some schools of thought now that's, um, it's not new, but some schools of thought uh, prescribe the idea of starting with the intense training first to bring up your speed, then try to extend the amount of training you do at that speed. Uh, Canova, Roberto Canova in, um, in Italy, who trains these, these amazing elite African uh, runners who have got many, many awards and medals, 
he kind of subscribes to that. Um, so it's uh, you know you have to try what what really works for you. You know, and there's there's no one approach. There's no one size fits all approach really. So this is a this is an individual thing. Sure. So um, I want to talk about specificity in training and considering endurance training refers to long duration on feet and getting the body comfortable in a discomfort situation, right? We want to understand how can specificity help help us with respect to say the goal distance and. Um, and how we can improve our uh, lactate threshold, VO2 max, and neuromuscular efficiency, so on and so forth. Yeah, sure. Yes, uh, specificity. Again, I talked a little about it before. For the marathon, uh, 42.195K, you, you're spending three hours, four hours, sometimes runners spending five hours in the heat uh, or in all kinds of elements. So you first have to understand how much time you're going to spend there and then try to back calculate, okay, you know, I need to prepare my body to be able to stay four or five hours on the, on the feet. Uh, if uh, Now, the way I, we train here at House of Runners uh, Dubai uh, and I love super sport, we, the, the long run is, um, is very structured in the sense that in the first maybe 10 miles or 16K is base group based running. So everyone gets into the pace groups. Uh, I know where each runner fits. We have maybe four or five pace groups. So about 20 runners are divided into pace groups and we get right away into very specific paces. So not only are the pace leaders, but also the, the people who are following in that pace bus are always uh, running at the intensities that they need. Once the 16 kilometers is done, then we have an after party. So those who can stick on will stick on. Otherwise, they will go home. But for the marathoners, they will continue to stay with me. And we do very specific race pace efforts after some miles have been put on the legs. So this is also very specific to the marathon. You want to be able to teach your body how to run fast when your muscles are already fatigued or a certain level of fatigue has been built in um, into the body. And that's not just from that run alone. So the rest of the days of the week before this, we've been running four or five times a week. So we built in this, this, this we pre-fatigue the legs a little bit before coming to the long run. So we're not really running uh, 16K or 20K fresh. We're, we're running it with tired legs. So this is very important for the marathon, is to be able to train when the legs are a little tired, um, because this is exactly what's going to happen at kilometer 25 to kilometer 28 it depends different people hit the hit the so-called wall at different points uh, but it will happen it will happen and you need to be prepared for that and why not just incorporate that into into the training but specificity is is very very well understood by 100 meter runners and 200 meter runners i mean if you ask a 100 meter runner you know hey do you do your long run he's gonna look at you and, and laugh i mean uh Really? Uh, so, unfortunately, I think as the distances get longer, people sort of uh, don't really realize this and uh, they're, they kind of get lost in this whole group running thing and they really don't question what they're doing during this group. It's not just simply about going there and click, you know, getting the miles, but it's rather what you do in the training that really matters. And that is what I call training. All the rest of the stuff is just movement and exercise. 
which may not really benefit you if you have a hard goal in the marathon. Sure. So I also want to talk about uh, applying this to to various aspects, and one of them is gender, right? So, are there any specific guidance on training for men versus women, and how differently do women respond to training as compared to men? This is a very important question because, sadly, sports science, and if you look at uh, some of the research that's been done in sports science, that's you know really at the root of very very big ideas. Uh, uh, a lot of the investigations have been on men. Forgive me, my I'm not exactly sure of the dates, but it was only in the 1960s with the civil rights movement and, and stuff in the USA that women got more of a free, equal chance to participate on equal footing with male athletes in events uh, like long distance and middle distance. So, so the, the the collection of work that surrounds female athletes is just building up, I would say. Uh, it has. It's not as much as what's been found with males, and so uh, we as coaches and practitioners need to be really looking and and being staying on top of the the, the science of how to train uh, females or what's important to a female. But as you rightly said, the female body is different uh, than the the male body. Uh, females uh, uh, have reproductive organs. They have reproductive cycles. The I was fortunate enough to actually work with several female athletes and uh, several of them have been of uh, European origin um, and then some Filipinos as well. But uh, early on, I realized that a female cannot always do the same um, amount of training or the training at the times when I want them to because, you know, they've got, uh, they've got their cycles and things like that. And... Um, the other thing is the female body doesn't have as much or on a proportional basis as much uh, muscle uh, as a male does. It's more of fat content. So uh, females are more fat content and, and gener- generally speaking, of course, there's exceptions to this, but uh, males are, have more uh, uh, muscle percentage than females. Therefore, they can uh, train harder and train longer. Uh, females have to have have higher fat percentage, but that gives them a very specific advantage in that when the distances really get long, they're able to really tap into that fat system. Um, the, the fat um, metabolization is really, really strong in females. Here at I Love Supersport, in the school I coach, uh, just recently one of the female coaches went to Russia and she participated in the Baltic Man, which is an ultra-endurance triathlon. I mean, you have to run something like 100 kilometers on day two or day three, I forget. But that comes after a 300-kilometer bike ride. So you're literally running on empty levels of sugar. You know, you you don't you can't bank on, on a lot of glycogen. And she went out and absolutely smashed this race and she was she won the race and she also left all the men in the dust. Um, so uh, it's really fascinating. And you hear these kinds of stories from other uh, sports in other parts of the world, um, especially when it comes to ultra-endurance, like beyond the 42-kilometer mark, the differences between males and females start to thin. And you can see like races like the Death Valley Ultra Marathon, for example. Uh, you can see some females doing extremely, extremely well. And, and they're all even, even better than the males, for example. So I think the female body is, is, is naturally, I would say, 
in a state to to have success and potential in the in the longer distances sure so ronnie i have uh, i have one more question here and that is to do with age so uh, specific guidance for masters athletes and those who pick up running at a later stage uh, as against the younger ones what are the important factors to keep in mind while training yeah this is a very very important topic uh, uh, we find that the popularity in marathon is is just going up and up and up and yeah each year you get hundreds of thousands of people uh, wanting to sign up and and finish a marathon and a lot of them and majority of them are are uh, people in their 40s 50s 60s who have had like uh, many years of inactive uh, inactivity in their life and they just want to want to use the marathon as a way to propel them to you know just change their lives so we see a lot of lot lot more masters athletes now i think very well investigated phenomena is that as you age um your vo2 max so it tells your maximum aerobic capacity tends to drop and if you didn't do anything to to curb that your, your the drop would be phenomenal and in fact in a decade you could lose up to around a percentage and and that's really uh tied up to the loss of cardiac output your heart is pumping less volume of blood out and cardiac output is the main ingredient of vo2 or the or the volume of oxygen you can take in so therefore uh if you didn't do anything to curb that you you just you start losing your capacity and therefore the percentage of the capacity you need to be able to run shorter distances fast and i think that's one of the reasons why uh, older athletes tend to gravitate more towards the longer distances because it doesn't require so much of a vo2 um output you know you can run 4 hours or 5 hour marathon and stay relatively um you know at, at at an easy intensity of course there is that soreness and everything you get from running a marathon um, that happens to everyone cramping etc but on a um, aerobic level uh, the amount of effort is quite low and you will find very less athletes uh, very few masters athletes um, unless they are very motivated running 5k's and 10k's and and really just focusing on that uh, at least from what i've seen here um, but having said that if and there's studies that surrounding this if a masters runner is very very motivated they can really maintain their level of fitness and they can sustain it for longer if they continue year on year to continue to train um the other aspect is muscle atrophy and as you age you especially after your 40s you you tend to you know you just tend to see a market decrease in your ability to uh to apply muscular force etc especially in running um and that's due to the atrophy of muscles and so one way to curb that would be to use uh, uh the gym and 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 incorporate strength training into the schedule so these are these are two ways you know just by training uh, running and being careful about how you train at the same time incorporating some strength training you can maintain your level of fitness for longer certainly if you look at the european athletes or the american athletes you go and run a european marathon or an american marathon you find hundreds of hundreds of athletes in their 40s 50s 60s even doing better than the younger athletes and these are the athletes who are really very motivated and who have been very successful at being able to continue that longevity by training year on year and some of these very people are 
they train all year long and they continue to do something every month every day every week because they are motivated and for them just getting out there and doing it is also has that addictive factor you know it's just like drinking a cup of coffee you can't some people some of us can't start our day without a cup of coffee so uh, so there you know that's the good the good news is that you can uh, really turn around your life and maintain fitness by but that that drop i talked about by training and continue training all year all year long sure so um you know this almost brings me to the end of our podcast today our, uh, and i wanted to ask you that uh, which is the next race you are training for and your team is training for yeah aditi that's a nice question i train um professionally and i love super sport as well as um, i'm doing pro bono training with my running club house of runners all are focused on the well the big upcoming project is uh, adnock abu dhabi full marathon which is in its fourth year i believe uh this year it's bigger and better they have brought in nike as the big big sponsors title sponsor and the route has changed and the route is something that everyone is looking forward to because it runs around the entire perimeter of abu dhabi so it's an epic route an epic race as uh, lot to expect so we are in uh, the 12 week countdown to atnock marathon we've been training since uh, month of may actually and doing lots of aerobic training and also incorporating train uh, running 3 to 4 times a week uh, doing group runs so yeah we're looking forward to this last 12 weeks and i think this is the big goal for this year marathon and keep in mind and as as many uh, veterans in the marathon know it takes a lot of your time and you can't really put in other stuff into a marathon schedule um, i've always wanted to incorporate some cycling and do some cycling races because i am also uh, very interested in in getting good in that sport unfortunately with the running that's going on and the coaching i i i haven't found enough time to 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 get the, to do some cycling so so yeah i have very, two very jealous cyclists uh, cy- cycles bicycles sitting here without any use in collecting dust <laughs> <laughs> all right then so thank you for your time and good luck for the upcoming season to you and your team and wish you all the best yes thank you very much it was a pleasure to be on the show and uh, all the very best to to you and your team i would like to thank all our listeners and if you like this episode and would like to know more on the world of running please subscribe to our channel and if you know of someone who is starting their journey into fitness and running do share a podcast link with them i would like to thank my friend arvind for editing sound recording and taking care of the post production for this podcast if you have any suggestions on improving the content of the show or topics you would like us to cover please share it by emailing us at connect at geeksonfeet.com we generate running content for those seeking technical assistance to training which is available in our show notes or you can also reach us through twitter facebook or instagram